Do you like to read? Are you tired of the podcasts out there that just skim the surface of books? Or how about the book clubs that are designed to just get you to buy the book? Yeah, we were tired of those too. My name is Alan, and along with my friend Phil, I was tired of all of those superficial discussions of books. We wanted something deeper. So we created this podcast for us to discuss what we wanted, to dive deep into the books we read. Are you ready? Because this ain't your mother's book club. This is Two Dudes with an Opinion. All right, two, two. This is the final discussion of Extreme Ownership. How do you feel about that? Unless we split it in two because the last half of the whole chapter is... You mean the afterward or the, uh, not the afterward, the, uh, the, the, the preview? I don't know you call that. Uh, you call well, you may have gotten the version with the preview of the next book, which I don't want, I think we should avoid talking about because that in and of itself is a whole discussion, obviously, whole series. So Yeah, yeah and it's another packed one like this one is. It's... Definitely, like the little bit of it that I got is definitely really good, and we should plan that at some point. But mm-hmm. I think branching out into other books is a good idea. Oh yeah, I want to. I want to jump around. Not that I don't love Jago and Leaf. Want to move on? Maybe talk about Seth a little bit down the line. Seth, yes, go to <laughs> his stuff is cool. I don't know why he's. It's funny. He's so. We're kind of like going off topic, but the way he writes his books. So, okay. For those who don't know, Seth Godin is like the number one best marketer ever, essentially. He's like one of the, the top notch best people out there for marketing and brand, and branding and everything. He's so sought after. But not only that, he's also a very good inspirational speaker and everything. He has a daily habit of posting to his blog at seths.blog. Um, so S E T H S dot B L O G. Um, and his blog posts are just short, sweet to the point. They're not these massive things. Like if you go to wait, but why, uh, by Tim urban, he writes massive essays on his, uh, website and, and people read those. I try, I've tried. They're just their books in and in and of themselves. But he only posts like once every once a year, essentially. Seth Godin, because he has this uh, habit of uh, posting writing a blog post and posting it every single day, um, he just accumulates thousands of blog posts. And what he does then is he monitors the blog posts that do well and strike a chord with people. And then he starts looking for themes within those uh, posts and then strings those posts together. Um, And when he strings them together, that's when he comes out with his books. So like right now, I'm reading one of his books called The Practice. It was his uh, latest book. it's really just musings on creation, uh, being creative. Um, basically sitting there saying things like, 
you need if you want to be uh, ship creative work, if you want to create something and make make a business, what you out of your creative work, what you need to be doing is working on it a little bit each day, and that's part of the reason why he does his blog posts each day. But each chapter in here is really not a chapter; it's just a collection of short essays um, that are less than a hundred or less than five hundred words, maybe. Like maybe less, some are less than a hundred words. Um, I read reviews. Like the worst review for that one was, "It's not a book; it's a bunch of fables." But that's the point. Like that's yeah, that's the point. Yeah, and, and that's his um, writing style. That's just how he is. If you go back and you read tribes or this is marketing, it's the same thing. That's what he does. Um, like, look right here is this, uh, this little essay called, and maybe you're trying to do th two things at once. Like you can see how short that is. Mm -hmm. It's like super quick and it's good. It's good stuff. Like here, I mean, I'll read this right, right off the bat. And maybe you're trying to do two things at once. The first thing is making exactly want what you want for you. And the second thing is making something for those you seek to connect and change. Pursuing either is fine. Pursuing both is a recipe for unhappiness because what you're actually doing is insisting that other people want what you want and see what you see. Most of us would like that. We might even desire, uh, deserve it after all the work we invest, but that doesn't mean it's likely to happen. So like that short to the point and really smart because it goes back to his whole idea of marketing is about finding the right pe uh, the right product for the right people at the right time. You have to hit all three of those at once to have a really truly successful product. Um, so yeah. Like that's why we should be diving. We should dive into him at some point is because there's a lot of really good business thoughts and and things like that there. So, but what's really kind of cool with him is his whole idea of the practice is it's something that you commit to every day. It's like a creative activity that you want to do. So if you're if you want to be a writer, first off you have to think I am a writer. And then once you think that I am a writer, what do writers do? Writers write. And so then you have to commit every day to writing, which ties back to this last chapter that we're talking about in extreme ownership, which is discipline equals freedom. Because the idea is that you are committing to a practice every single day. You are disciplined enough to do this one little thing or, or something every single day. And by committing to that and, and, and focusing on the freedom, you're going to open yourself up or sorry, fo uh, commit, com uh, focusing on your, on the discipline, you're going to open yourself up to a lot more opportunities and a lot more, uh, options in the future. So let's dive into this discussion of on our last chapter of extreme ownership if you've made it all the way here with us we uh we thank you very much we've had some really good in-depth discussions of these chapters and we are going to have a good one uh this time to wrap up this book um I really like the uh, I, I like how he wraps it all up because it's really nice. It kind of dovetails into uh, it really actually dovetails into his podcast, which I like. Um, 
then eventually it does dovetail into the book that they came out with a couple of years after this one was printed called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And we'll probably read that and talk about that at some point in the future. But after this, we're going to take a break from leadership stuff and talk about something else, um, which we will well, we'll talk about at, towards the end of this episode. Other than that, Phil, you got anything to say before we dive in? I just like how it starts off. Target secured. Oh, yeah. Uh, love it. All right. There it is. Bam. Um, am I wrong? But when I'm looking at this, uh, my understanding is that this actually goes back to um, his early experiences in Iraq. Yes. Okay. So it's like a trip back in history uh, to when Jocko was young. Could we say Jocko was ever young? Um, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Actually, if you see some of the pictures of him when he was young, like a young teenager just fresh into the seals, it's like, who is that? It's it's crazy. There are some people. I find it interesting. There are some people who change, uh, who don't really change that much when, when from when they're eighteen to when they're older. Like you can see the th- like the thread super easily. But then there are some people who change drastically and he's one of those that changed drastically like you have to really look for the features when from when he was in when he was a young seal but yes it says right here um i was a seal platoon commander on my first deployment to iraq so yeah it's it was it starts off going back but go on so yeah so um it starts off you know target secure they just got into a building they're like okay time to see who we just killed um or and are captured, I guess. There might have been people captured in this scenario. Um, and their, their job is to go through there and to secure the building and look for any evidence for a criminal case and to identify uh, who who it was and you know potentially who was still there or who they're involved with. And it goes back to a time when the um, they were trying to rebuild the judicial system of Iraq and they're trying to uh, bring in Iraqi attorneys to become judges and to uh, establish, you know, their, their procedures and their laws and their requirements. And um, it's a, it's a nation time of change nation building. Yeah. Essentially it's a, it's some very quick nation building um, yeah. along with a lot of corruption and a lot of craziness going on. Unfortunately. So you can't expect anything else. Um, you know, power changing hands, uh, it's it's an interesting time in history for them for sure. So they uh, the the, um, the seals are trying to keep up with all this change, right? Because I mean, keep in mind they're basically like a bunch of young men that go in under fire, have to do a police investigation, patch up any wounded, get out before uh, reinforcements of the bad guys show up, and they get trapped in. And mind you, they don't have any uh, police training at all uh, leading up to this either. Or detective training or any of that. Yep. So a lot of it is when they're going and they're grabbing evidence, it's just, yeah, this looks important. Or smashing everything to try to find something important. Yep. Um, Which I'm a big fan of, to be quite honest, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, come on. They already killed the guy. Right? And if you survive that, you know, the last thing he's worried about is a sofa. Um, so, or his love seat, right? The, uh, <laughs> actually, so, uh, some funny stories about that. Um, so I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, but like my stepdad was on, um, 
was a police officer and was on uh, a lot, did a lot of search warrants. And one of the things that they always did with search warrants is uh, they would go into a, a bed. So like they would go into a bedroom or they'd go into a room. And one of the first thing or the, the very first thing that they did, especially in bedrooms, was they overturned the mattress. Why do you think that is? To see who's there. Exactly. They need they 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 to clear the room. They check the closet and they overturn the mattress because they want to make sure nobody is hiding under the mattress. Once they do that, they then take the mattress and put it back into the or put it into the center of the room or or, or put it somewhere where it's obvious. And then they start going through everything, and they're not gentle about it at all. They take everything and throw like they'll they'll open up drawers in the uh in, in the um in the drawers in the chest of drawers whatever you want they'll open them up and they'll start like going through it and they'll take every piece of clothing everything that's in that drawer and throw it onto the mattress everything goes onto the mattress so by the time they're done that mattress is packed with high with everything in the room and that's, that's how they. That's how they uh, they they either a know that it's been, um, yep, and b how they know that it was properly searched and everything because they went through everything. So, kind of give you an idea of like what these guys were pro- were doing were not doing because <laughs> they it's kind of like what we were leading into with what, what Phil was saying. Like there came. Um, directive basically to say we need better chain of custody um so for those who who don't know what 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 a chain of custody means is when a piece of evidence is collected uh and this is big in the american uh judicial system due process and everything once that once a piece of evidence is collected the very first person who finds it has to sign saying i found this when it gets so so let's say that it's um let's say it's my stepdad my stepdad's going through and doing doing a search warrant and he finds a piece of evidence and he collects that evidence he puts it in an evidence bag and he signs on that evidence bag i found this this is where i found it he has to hold on to it until he's ready to turn it over to the uh, to the next person. So typically, what happens is uh, there's a one officer who ten- who's in charge of all of the evidence. He then will go and to go over to that officer and hand the evidence over to that officer. That officer will then sign and say, "I have taken receipt of this." Uh, piece of evidence. In some cases, the um, the officer who is handing over also has to sign saying, "I have handed this piece of evidence over to so and so." So, and it's always like this every time, every single time that piece of evidence leaves in uh, somebody's hand and goes to somebody else's hand, there has to be a signature. When it goes into the evidence lockers, the supervisor or the intake officer at the evidence. Uh, uh, evidence locker has to sign saying they have taken receipt of all of this evidence and whenever that's checked out like so for example let's say we're uh, we're going to uh to the court and we're going to be showing off the evidence in court and the the uh the 
an officer for working with the attorneys has to go and sign out the evidence and then sign over that they're handing the evidence over to the attorney. The attorney has to then make sure that they, they're taking care of that. It's like every single step we have to know everywhere where uh, we have to know where this a piece of evidence has always been because if there is even a tiny break in that chain of evidence that entire case can and does get thrown out because if there's any little break there's the because of the way the american judicial system is we have to find in favor of the defendant we have to it's innocent and prove, until proven guilty and if you break chain of evidence chain of custody all that stuff you're there there's there becomes a question as to whether or not that person actually is guilty and when there's that question i might sound like a democrat to, but i support that <laughs> that's not sounding like a democrat that's just sounding like a normal person in my opinion <laughs> just saying <laughs> Well, it's like um, one of my teachers, one of my uh, early uh, elementary school teachers, she went and lived in England for a while. And in England, they have uh, guilty until proven innocent. And Can you imagine that? Well, so she and one of the things that she ended up happening with her is uh, she got into a car accident and she, they, um, she got assigned the guilt immediately when it's obvious it's, it was not her fault. And so she had to go through a gigantic rigmarole in the court system to try to prove that she was innocent of the accident. And she said, it, like, it was a pain, like it was awful. And whenever she got into an accident here in the US, it was so much easier for her to prove that it was somebody else that uh that was the issue it's just yeah that and so that's part of the reason why i'm like look it's it's much better um it's much better to to do to find uh, to fall on innocent rather than guilty so anyway bringing this back to what they were saying and what phil was talking about is they're trying to do the nation building there in iraq and they're sitting there saying we need better chain of custody because they're just going in and being super haphazard about all of this extremely haphazard so missing rooms oh well we'll we'll get to that actually but yeah you nailed it and taking a long time 45 minutes to do a search yeah yeah and well, so here, here's the thing for normal police offer operations here in the U S 45 minutes is, is okay. Uh, if I remember correctly, like they're very often. Oh yeah. You know, I think the FBI was at some place for like three hours. Yeah. With cameras off. Oh yeah. And no attorneys. Yeah. So yep. I mean, 45 yeah, minutes is nothing insane by American but standard. Yeah. Right. But, but that, like they, they don't have, like they have all the time in the world to do that. They're not yeah. afraid for their lives. These not people. About fire. Thank you. These people here in Iraq, and they're in Iraq, they are afraid for their lives. They need to uh, get in and out as fast as possible. So anyway, picking up, um, they get an order coming down saying, we need this to be better. Um, at least I believe that's what it is. Yeah, I guess their their uh, go-to ransack method wasn't cutting it. So they did get an order to... Um, to improve the process uh, because I, th- I think what happened is they had a, some cases where some bad people or those people they really thought were bad um, were able to just walk out. So the, yeah, um, I believe I so. Of, 
they just the kind of skim over it like they've got two the two paragraphs here talking about it saying after we after they conducted several missions the iraqi judges wanted a much stronger uh evidence evidentiary system and then so orders came down saying we have to get better at this and then yeah i mean that's it so what Jocko does is say, hey, um, my assistant, I want you to come up with a better system. Come up with something good. So he goes and he spends like a couple of days trying to figure this out. And he comes back and um, he has the uh, this whole new system. Do you want to talk about that? Um, so you're probably better for this kind of detail than I am, but essentially they have a new process where they, uh, they have people responsible for rooms, yep, all kinds of stuff, right? They, they have it down, right? And the guys are listening to this and they're like, wow, man, this is too complicated because they're, keep in mind, they're used to ransacking, right? They're just going and they're the top of their mind. They're not, they're more worried probably about incoming fire than they are about having an organized process. Where yep. they've never been taught it anyways and they're back of their heads they're like we're just grunts guys come on like yep. we can carry this boat really far and yep. the log too right and now we have to do this court crap and these guys are getting away yep. um so jocko's like no this is good you're gonna love it no you will love it <laughs> and then they're like, we're not going to love it and he's like well okay who in the last search who had the bathroom and nobody speaks up. He's like, that's right, because we missed the bathroom. Yep. Who got that last piece of that bag of evidence? It's particularly this. Nobody speaks up. That's right, because we left it there. Yep. And so on and so on. And so he won them over with his tender charm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tender charm. To give you to, to, the rundown of the system was that all the guys would go into the uh, into the room or into the house, every guy would get assigned a room. Every guy would get a bag of evidence bags and they'd go, everybody would be in their room and they'd be searching the room and they'd take evidence, put into the bag, sign it. And then put, uh, I guess all the evidence had like lanyards and stuff. And then they put it around their that neck. That was an evolution it, of it. They, it, so it would just hang there. So they knew, they always knew where it was. Once a guy was done examining their room, they would stay in that room until the overall uh, evidence guy would cut, walk through each room, collect all the evidence, mark off the room, mark who did the room, and then move on to the next. And they would do that over and over again. That's why the guys were getting really frustrated about that. And as Phil said, like, you know, he Jocko won them over because he, he was basically like, yeah, we've been effing this up for a while. We're not going to F this up anymore. Get At least on. try it. At least try it. Well, and that was and the big did. part. Yeah. And I like, think the first time was 30 minutes versus 45. Um, and it was awkward, but they said it was faster. Uh, I think first, it went... First time was, yes, half an hour, but less than 45 minutes. Second run took about 20 minutes. And then the final yep. run took 10 minutes. Yep. So they went, they got it down from 45 minutes down to 10 minutes. You got to think about that for a second. Like These are guys who are complaining that this is going to take too long and it's going to risk our lives. And yet a system that, to be perfectly honest on paper is complex which violates one of the rules that jocko says keep it simple but when executed it's actually super simple 
Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, I mean, it sounds like it was a really good system because they were able to do this eventually in 10 minutes after three runs. They're yep. going back. They're video recording it. They're going back and they're reconstructing the site with tape and evidence uh, to further document it after the fact with the, those, you know, with people around, right? The same yep. people that they were capturing um, alive. Uh, I don't know what they did with the dead ones. Maybe after they got good at it, they didn't have any dead ones anymore. Um, that might have been another bonus, right? Maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm pro-life. Uh, poor choice. What am I? I'm, you know, yeah, give those babies a choice. Um, You're pro the thing. <laughs> I'm pro that. That's it. I'm so that. Um, so the um, if I'm going from there, um, you know, he, he goes, he starts talking about discipline. Yeah, because basically he dives into that because he's saying, look, this new methodology is a very disciplined methodology because you got to think about it. They were just going in and being very haphazard about it. They were sitting there saying like they were, they were being fr very free about how they were going to, uh, they were going and doing their searching. Well, and, and that's the reason why I bring up that word is, is the, the free, like very often in life, we, we, um, especially nowadays, what we want to do or what society really wants to push. And so and I think the theme of this episode is not necessarily going to be uh, leadership, but probably life in general. Um, the first time ever. Oh, please. <laughs> um, the, the idea is, society likes to try and say, throw off the shackles of the rules and depression. Um, yeah, they, they say rules are repressing you. Rules in society are repressing you. You need freedom. You need to be free. Be free. Do whatever you want. All of that stuff. And the thing is, like, this is a really good object lesson for that freedom at all cost idea. They were going in and doing their searches, and they were, they were being free. They were being super free about that. They threw off any rules. They didn't have any. They just they're only one. Just their one rule was collect evidence, and that was it. Or, or collect something that looks like evidence and that was it and what did it lead to well at first it worked out well fine it was working all right but then it kind of went downhill because it just wasn't living up to the the good standards that were there expectations yeah um so what did they have to do they had to impose discipline and the like the uh i think Jocko kind of puts it as this is essentially it's like an oxymoron type thing where discipline discipline equals freedom so you when we say that we often sit and say hey for, like discipline is not freedom like i said because of the way society currently is trying to tell everybody but the thing is when you look at this it's that it really is because when they became more disciplined about their methodology they were able to accomplish their mission and accomplish what they really wanted to do very effectively and able to send a lot of people away a lot of really bad people away and 
they also increased their safety because going from 45 minutes on site down to around 10 to 20 minutes on site is, I mean, think about that. That's like, geez, you're really that's huge. That's yeah. huge. Um, I mean, that's about the time you could, that's about how long you'd take for somebody to walk a mortar fire in on you. There you go. If they weren't very good. Yeah. Like, which they wouldn't do that there, of course. But it's and so by being disciplined, it increased their freedom by because one, they were now free to do a better job of getting uh, putting people behind bars, and then two, they were free to well move on to other things, other more important things. Well, keep in mind the insurgent the insurgency at this point is getting better and better every week. Uh, when you say better and better, you mean more skilled? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the bad guys are getting more skilled. They're getting better rehearsed. Those who are commanding and living are, you know, getting experience fast at this point. So if they had stayed at 45 minutes or got sloppier, came an hour, got frustrated, you know, um, it would have large consequences. Now, I suspect Jocko would have improved the processes without having been told because he doesn't seem like somebody so sloppy. Neither do the SEALs. Um, but it didn't hurt to, uh, have that come down. I even wonder if, if he complained and somebody said, okay, the order is this. I wonder too. I mean, he's obviously writing to put himself or put his guys in a good light. So there, there's probably some discussions going back and forth that happened that he didn't see or needed to be written down. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be written down. Yep. So but that's what they make bars for. <laughs> so he dives in and goes and basically just he gives a little bit of a pep talk saying discipline begins at the every at the beginning of every day, blah blah. And he just goes on and on and on about how important discipline is and, and such. I would say, like I said, like this it's important. It is extremely important to be to have discipline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and after that, he goes through some of the other uh, leadership traits, um, a whole list of them. Yeah. Should we run through them kind of quick or do you want to run through them? You got it there in the book. I could paraphrase uh, it. Yeah, like so he, di- he dives into the dichotomy, what he calls the dichotomy of leadership, which is the title of their next book. Um, Sneak preview, perhaps, a teaser. I actually like this summary because he, prior to that, he kind of goes a little more in depth into each of these uh, aspects of it. But basically, leader must be confident, not cocky, um, which is super important. If there's any like that you want to dive deeper into this whole uh, into this list, we can. Um, courageous but not foolhardy, competitive but a gracious loser, uh, attentive to details but not obsessed by them, strong but have endurance, uh, a leader and follower, humble not passive, aggressive not overbearing, quiet not silent, calm but not robotic, logical but not devoid of emotions, uh, close with the troops but not so close that one becomes more important than another or more important than the good of the team, not so close that they forget who is in charge, uh, able to execute extreme ownership while exercising decentralized command. And I 
this is such a, a really interesting line he says at the end of this a good leader has nothing to prove but everything to prove it's really an interesting aspect of um leadership because it's very true like you have nothing to when, when you become a leader or or um you have nothing to prove to your team as far as leadership like there, it, very often it should be obvious as to why you are in uh, a leader at that point but you have everything to prove because you need to lead your team to success it is extremely important uh to be to, to keep that in mind because it's like when you sit there and you you constantly think to yourself when you become a leader oh i have nothing to prove you become complacent um but when you sit there and, and realize i have nothing to prove because i've gotten here on my own merits i am good but i still have to work hard and prove that my leadership is going to work then you avoid the complacency so the idea there is to overcome the imposter syndrome that everybody faces uh in every situation but also at the same time understand that uh you you need to stay on your toes because if you don't your team fails and when your team fails guess whose fault it is your bosses wrong oh did i just miss, miss the entire premise of the book yeah um, <laughs> did, did I, I just defined the antithesis of the book yeah um, you know i like that right to to paraphrase some of that and there's some others i'll touch on in a second um you i think as a leader you need you should be mega competitive you should really just be pardon the expression um what's a nice way to say balls of the wall i don't know yeah something. so you should just be intense right you there should be a you, bring, you should be a lot of energy as leaders drive the show right if your subordinates are driving the show much more than you then you probably have a bunch of leaders in there and you're not right so th there's some of that right now you don't have to be the most extreme in there, mm -hmm. but having passion, having some energy, uh, having intensity tends to inspire people around you. And that's an amazing thing because when, when a leader is lackluster, right, everybody else just can't get around that, right? Especially if he's not able to help bring people's inner you know motivation out and generally a lot of people like i've seen people that are like you know i just don't want to speak up and give my opinion because you know they'll think i'm being bossy or something no, you, know, uh, you, need, no. you need to learn to develop a voice to defend it and don't use lame cop-outs <laughs> to sorry right? i'm gonna say it don't use lame cop -outs. That is a cop -out. hide between yeah it is right um if you're making more than minimum wage, you know, you're being paid for the value you bring over delivering a hamburger, right? Now, if you're delivering a hamburger, yeah, you don't have to, you know, give much opinion. Maybe you shouldn't, right? So, so I, that. <laughs> I'll, fly, I'll, I'll offer the flip side of that coin because I would say um, I'll do like with jo jo what Jocko says often in his podcast, which is there's a dichotomy to that. 
<laughs> Basically, the idea is that you are correct in that there are times where you do need all of that. But then there are times where you do, where as a leader, you need to step back and let your, your people run the show and let them shine forth. But, and, and see, and that's where the That's talent, the nothing to prove thing. Yeah. Yep. And that's like, seriously, that's where the, the, I guess it, you could call it experience or just kind of like the observational or whatever you want comes into play as a leader. Like one of the things that you have to understand as a leader is like, it's yes, there are times where you need to stand up and, and like be the, be the face of the team. But then there are times where you as, as the leader need to step back and let the other, let other people on your team be the face of the team. Because well, I mean, that's just what you do as a leader. It, it kind of, you need to you boost up the people around you. There are times where you need to be like like what Phil was saying, balls to the wall, pushing hard, trying to get uh, things done, and, and high energy, and, and pushing people to to perform their best. But then there are going to be times where you need to pull back and and understand that hey, we just got done with this really amazing amazing deadline. We just reached this deadline. Time to time to calm down. Time That's to a celebration relax. moment. Yes, <laughs> let's let's celebrate. Let's enjoy. Let's breathe for a little bit before our next uh, next push. But then when when that next push comes, you got to turn that right back on. And I love I love that you brought up the whole like there are people who are like I just I don't want them to be think I'm bossy. Well, BS. Sorry, you're the leader. You need to be the boss. Like, right. And there, there's worse ways to be bossy when you're quiet. Yes. Like, and, and, you know, and here, just, here's, a, you know, is worse than to... anything. <laughs> but here's, no, here's the an example. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can be a leader without being bossy. Like I think everybody is so like, there's that, that whole bossy aspect of micromanagement, yes. do this, do that, do like all that type of thing. Like you can be a leader without that aspect, but you do need to stand up and speak up and be, and like present your opinion and, and say, and to be perfectly honest, when it's like one of the big things, like as a leader, that you have to do is be, you have to be the mediator. Like when you're sitting there and you're having a discussion with your team, and two people are presenting ideas and stuff to the team, and they're both different ideas, and they can both take the team down in different directions. You need to be the arbiter and make a decision about whether or not you're going to go with one of those opinions or your own opinion. And that's the important thing. And that's what people need and and want you to do as a leader. Yep. Love it. Love it. And which kind of goes back to some of the other parts in there, which is um he said he says it, and I think he says it kind of half-hearted. <laughs> uh, not to lose your temperature. Yeah. Not to lose your temper, right? Yeah. Um and he yeah, says it kind of one. half-hearted in my mind. The way I see it and he's I think he's right in it right because you should never lose your temper in a way that's cruel right you should you shouldn't be mean to anybody um, even if like I think even in a fight like in a, in a fist fight you shouldn't be cruel um, so the um, there's what if you don't ever let out your emotion then you become robotic and people can't follow you either if you are just mechanical and temperate. And if you don't ever show that you care, uh, people will believe you don't care. Well, so like, 
One of the big things that you want to do, I found that what, the paragraph that you're talking about is, like, as a leader, you you do not want to be. All right, so I've worked with worked for a lot of different leaders, a lot, um, and it's something that I have, like, I've personally really tried to work hard on in myself is to not be like this. Um, there is a guy I knew a long time ago. Now he was uh, definitely one of these people who just lost their temper over stupid things in in my view and he would throw temper tantrums in, in my view over it um the idea is that when you lo- like when you lose your your temperament when you lose uh control over of your anger in front of other people especially as a leader it's often very much because you're not getting your way. And when you're not getting your way, you start act, it, it, you're, you're showing immaturity because who are the people that throw, like who get angry and upset when they get, when they lose their, or when they don't get their way? Two-year-olds, three-year-olds, like every one of us sees that. And so immediately in everybody's mind around you, when you start losing your temper like that, they're immediately looking at you and seeing not a 40, 50 something year old man. They're seeing a five-year-old boy. And and that causes you to lose a lot of respect uh, among your team. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, when you get frustrated, it's okay to let that frustration come through in your tone of voice. Like that's okay. And you should, because when, when you're doing that, you're, you're sending a message to the people around you being like, uh-uh, no, what you're doing is wrong. And I, and you need to, you need to take us like you, the, the people who are, are, are under you need to like pay attention to what I'm saying now because I'm getting frustrated, but you can't sit there and like yell at people and be like, uh-uh, no, blah, 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 blah. And well, definitely don't do like these people who would, uh, that I knew who would throw things at you. Um, <laughs> I like how Phil's face just, you're <laughs> I guess I have a different impression of appropriate ways to lose a temper. <laughs> well, I'm not um, saying like imagine somebody a- throwing a stapler at you. I'm sorry. I but like that's just like that's how these people were that I, I would work around. Uh, this was years ago. Like they, they would lose their temper and they throw things at you like crazy and they'd yell and scream and everybody would sit there and be like and, and behind the, their back, everybody would like be like, Yeah, he he throws temper tantrums when he doesn't get his way, things like that. And it's like you don't want that you don't need to do that like it, it, it don't show like it's like he says in in here like don't be a robot and act like you don't have any emotions and, and definitely don't hold it in all the time because when you hold it in all the time eventually it does come out as a temper as an outburst of that what you need to do is let them like slowly come out and and you you need to show the anger but you can't show like it's really it's a really thin hard line to to follow and it's just like every time i see anybody in leadership do it to me it's like it, it's just it immediately turns me off to them i'm like you're not a leader you're somebody that you're somebody that i know i can start pushing your buttons on and i can control and that means you're not a leader 
Such guys need to learn how to tell a good story. They need to learn how to communicate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just like the, it just annoys me. I mean, they have a really, he has a really good line here. Just also people do not follow robots and it's definitely true. Like people yep. just don't. Can't relate. Yep. I can't relate to you. I don't know. I mean, I've worked, I've worked with people who are like that, who just don't really show emotions except for when they, when it bursts out of them. And it's like, yeah, and then they're emotional princess, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. then top of that, you don't like them. No, exactly. And then you don't, and also on top of that, you don't really know where you stand with them then because they're too um, insecure to actually show you anything, to, 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 be, um, to be emotional. Like they're too insecure around you at that point. So... Dead air. Dun, dun, dun. I'm so angry you are throwing stuff. Um, how do you say so many things about robotic people? I like robots. They're people too. Are they? Are we about well, to enter into the Alan Turing discussion? Ooh. Oh, 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 oh. How about... No. <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of dogs or people too. I'm not a fan of uh, all that crap. That. Like, you know, I'm just people are people. My dog is and, not my child. My dog yeah. is my pet. My cat is not my child. My cat is my pet. It drives me nuts when people sit there and say, "Oh, look at my kid." Um, no, no, my dog. Those are people who do not have kids and have never had kids and do not understand <laughs> the difference between a kid and a pet. Yeah, and yeah, how important that difference is. Yeah, the um. You know, there's a time when I was got out of the military or towards the end of it when I was very upset and angry. And I'm like, yeah, I, I like dogs more than people. Bah, right. Uh, so, well, but I mean, you know, that's like, um, it's it's not the truth. Like, you know, a lot of people kind of say it and there's like kind of fuming. Uh, but I think some people really just don't get to the stage in life where they can realize the value of people. Yeah. Yep. It's extremely important to, it really is important to value the people around you. Yeah, can't we just learn to love one another? Um, hippie. <laughs> I'm such a hippie. Uh, and you know what? The one I've always had a hard time with from his list is uh, getting close, but not too close. Yeah. With subordinates. Um, I know that Maybe feeling. even management. Um, you know, I've always struggled with that one. It's a hard one. And that comes from a guy that's not very likable. So it, it is such a hard one to deal with because you do need to get close to them because you do need to create a relationship with people. This is one of the hard things about um, I've noticed a lot with uh, today's world is with a majority of our so okay so a couple of different things one one thing i definitely want to mention is before diving into this do not replace your work family with your real family because there is no such thing as a work family 
There is I'm none. I'm pretty sure I heard people talking about their work wife. Yeah, I know. I know. The, so the, let me tell you, let me tell a story, okay? This, this is where it started. It started to get driven home to me. Um, and and it, over the years, it has really been driven home to me. I was working at this big company and we were a manufacturing uh, company. Um, we built some pretty large pieces of equipment and we would uh we uh, i was in the a department that tested the electronics on the equipment uh it was huge it was awesome uh good stuff and my department head got approached by the vp of the uh departments that he was in charge of and said i need you to switch over to become the department head of this other department now, my department head had spent about 20 years in the department that he was currently in, uh, the head of, and worked literally from the bottom up. Like he started out as the lowest and worked his way up to the department head position uh, of it. And he, well, he he created a lot of relationships within that department, a lot of relationships. And a, like, 98% of the people in that department were people who had, well, they had, um, he had hired and trained and mentored and he was- I thought you were about to say who he made pregnant. Never mind. No. No. They, uh, uh, well, anyway, that, that was not going to happen. Um, so anyway- the uh they were he was super close to them like every year he would have them over around christmas time to his house and they'd have this big old christmas party uh they he'd do picnics with them outside of work he knew about their families and their families knew about him and all, like he was really close and he considered them his a, an extension of his family a part of his family and when the VP approached him and said, I need you to change departments because I need you to go and fix up this other department. Well, how could he really say no? He, he could, he could have, but he chose not to. He chose to go. You're going to say something? No, no. Okay. I'm curious what happens. Well, he transitioned to this other department and he thought that, okay, well, I'm just I'm just going to move buildings and I'm going to be able to stay in contact with all of these people. Nope. None of them in the original department ever really talked to him again. They kind of essentially cut him out. Now, there are lots of different reasons you, you can come up with and excuses that you can come up with saying, well, they were busy, they were doing all this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. And he got busy too and doing all that. But the thing is, when you're really close to somebody, you make the time, you make the effort. Um, if you're really close to your parents and you're off at college, you're, you, you pick up the phone and you're going to call your parents. Uh, or if you're on the other side of the country and you're, you you want to stay in touch and you want to keep that relationship going, you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call them. Like you're going to do that type kind of stuff. Well, my boss, like he and I sat down at one point and we were talking and he basically kind of said, yeah, I think I had replaced my family with these, with my coworkers. And 
now that I changed apartments, it's not like I'm I'm a part of their their lives anymore. It feels like they've completely cut me off and cut me out. And that's that's the issue. That's the thing. Um so that start like that started that whole realization to me that who you work with is who you work with. They are not your family. They are not like you can have relationships and friendships with them within work and even outside of work. But the thing is, as soon as there's a change, unless you have a really strong relationship outside of work, it's not going to happen. Like things are not going to like continue. I have rare, uh, I have changed jobs a lot and I have rarely ever kept in touch with anything, anyone from any other job out there, even with today's beautiful technology of social media, where you have Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of those things. I barely keep in contact with anyone from previous uh, companies at, at all. And and the thing, the thing of the matter is, it's like I said, you do not, do not, do not, do not, do not ever try and replace your real family, your real relationships outside of work with your work relationships. Because the thing is, your working relationship is a business relationship. Your company can fire you on a on a drop of a hat. It, it could just they could come up with a reason tomorrow, and you're gone. And guess what happens at that point? No one or from one that, of your family members <laughs> comes yeah. up with a reason to get you fired. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And guess what happens? It, it, it's done. It's gone. It's there's nothing there. So like, that's why. This that one this this whole thing about with what Phil is saying is like become cl- close but not too close because is it's such a hard one, but it's such an important one. Like get to know the basically my view of it is get to know the people that you work for you or that you work for. Like get to know them a little bit, get to know them on a personal level, but always keep in mind that this is a professional relationship. This is not a um, personal relationship. Um, it's very rare to find people whose per, uh, professional relationships extend into the personal sphere. Uh, and then when something happens and th- they either have to leave that company or somebody has to leave that company, that that relationship gets maintained. Because what what you find is that the common thread that kept you together, that, that, that pushed you together is no longer there. And when that common thread is no longer there, what's the point of trying to maintain that relationship? there isn't and so it's like don't do not do not do not do not try to replace your real family or real relationships with work stuff and i'm not saying that those aren't real relationships i'm just saying like don't don't try to replace the the personal stuff with the professional stuff that's that's a road to disaster you look like you're thinking very hard about what I said. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I think it's shallow when you do this, it's very shallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's easy to, you know, have like an argument with your wife or something and say, and just need a release and get too carried away with it or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Um, but you know, if you got kids, right. And you got a wife, um, there's nothing that can replace that. Right. Don't right. even, don't even right. try it. Right. Um, 
you know, I don't like bringing work home, even though I like work all the time. I don't bring any like the of the energy home. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if I may have to do some work at home, uh, I don't bring that energy around. And if mm-hmm. I'm at home, I'm like, you know, people, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm home. Right. And I happen to be doing some work. Uh, and if I'm on the call with somebody who's like, yeah, I'm home, this is my time. Um, so don't expect it to be a very professional call. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Be prepared to hear kids screaming in the background. I guarantee you on my head. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, if I drop the phone and you know, say get, you know, start screaming about the blood, that's what happens when you have boys in the house. That's very true. I'm trying to get it off the carpet. Boy, I, I think I've said this before, but I am convinced that young boy is it's a young boy's goal in life to kill himself. Yeah. I'm and take as many people with him as possible. Yeah, yeah you have my hands. Like if you look at my hands, you, you think I punched the wall. Right. Um, and no, all it is, is I'm trying to catch my kid before his head hits the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't like I don't get to sit on the sofa at home because my <laughs> almost three year old likes to go as high as he can on my shoulders and jump to the carpet. Oh, jeez. Um, or at least that's how it feels to me. So <laughs> there's a lot of exaggeration in there. But in my mind, I'm like, no. Right. That's too high. You're going to hurt your buddies or something. Um, You know, I'm saying your stomach or something is going to get hurt. Um, So I I sit on the floor and get beaten up. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's dad and son time. It's so important to have that. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't give him much culture, but at least, Ah, you know, at least I give him physical love. But that's just, uh, that's the big thing. Like, you don't necessarily need culture. You just need the love. Yep. 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 So, uh, anyway, all of these, like all of these dichotomies that he ta- talks about it, about just required discipline. And that's the, the big thing. Like, you need to, you just, you need to be disciplined and, and aware of the issues. Uh, I, you know, and, and I, you could probably <clears throat> add that one component of discipline is self awareness. And in order to to maintain your discipline and be and be disciplined, you have to be self aware first. You have to be self aware of your tendencies um, to be self like. It's like Phil and I both are sitting here talking about how hard the close with your with the troops, but not too close, is. It's a difficult one. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, other things to me tend to be like for me would be aggressive but not overbearing like the thing is i'm not super aggressive i just i'm really not it's i don't know it's just what i am um i'm also i can also be super detail oriented like to the point where i've i become obsessed with over stuff over stuff like and these are all things that i like i've reflected on over the years to try and figure out what like what what do i need to improve on what do i need or not necessarily need to improve upon but what do i need to become aware of so that i can be a better leader and and a better well even a better follower and 
it all comes back to discipline. You have to have the discipline to reflect on that. You have to have the discipline to curb those desire, those natural inclinations of yours to be something else. You have to be, excuse me, you just <laughs> have to be disciplined. So, yeah, this is some subset of emotional intelligence and I'm not sure which subset or even if there's a good way to express it that way, but I'm pretty sure this is just a, a small compartment yeah. of developing emotional intelligence and recognizing, recognizing yourself. There must be a good book on this particular topic. I, um, think, I think you're right. Probably is. Maybe we'll find it at some point in the future. Right. Right. It'll probably be one of Seth Godin's, uh, uh, all salesmen are liar or something. Ah, <laughs> uh, that one I do want to read. That's a cool one. Or looks yep. to be like a cool one. <laughs> it's funny because like I've read, uh, we're, we're, we're circling back around to Seth Godin. I've read a, um, a number of his books and I think the the one, the weakest one that I read of his was Lynchpin. Um, and I found that one to be the weakest one. Uh, and that's probably just because it didn't, I don't know. It just didn't resonate. Is that a fi- was that a real book? I thought that was a fiction. A linchpin? Yeah, that's a real uh, discussion book. It, okay, it's a, I thought it was uh, fictional. <laughs> it's a talk uh, about how... Um, what is it? Uh, let me think for a second. Basically, it's encouragement for you to become a linchpin in your organization. Uh, like that one... Um, that one key aspect or that one key person within the organization uh, to which everybody is relies on and it makes it very difficult to get rid of you. Um, and that's what he's kind of, the goal is, is to make it hard to get rid of you. Um, which mm. like I said, it's, I have mixed feelings on that. Well, and seeing that's, I think part of the reason why when I read it, it didn't resonate with me um, as much. Yeah, I mean, I think, (laughs) you know, there's two sides of that coin, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. I think by making yourself very replaceable, right, very adaptive and bring a lot of value to your company, whoever you're working for or your customer, um, you become a linchpin because you, you become unreplaceable even if you make what you're doing so improve that you you make it re- that part's replaceable yeah but when you look at the bigger picture like when you become this kind of um linchpin perhaps right um they they don't want to get rid of you because of the overall value you bring they just kind of, they just got to figure out how best utilize you yeah yeah no th- that's exactly what uh, what i think too um it's like the idea is that as a leader, uh, so taking uh, extreme ownership and stuff in, into account and all that, as a leader, your job, <clears throat> excuse me, your job is to develop the people under you so that they don't need you, that they need that they take extreme ownership of their position, of their jobs and their positions, that they don't need you to come in and tell them exactly what they need to do. Wind them up and set them free. Exactly. And so the goal at that point is that you as a leader just come in each day and you just kind of answer questions and and you help and you help clear things up and facilitate communication between with other teams, things like that. And mentor. And in a sense, at that point, you are no longer needed because your people are they're independent. 
and they can go and do their job and you could even decentralized command yes exactly and even then like like the facilitating communication with other teams you can help mentor somebody else under you to do that and make it make yourself even less needed but the thing of the matter is like when you get to that point you are no longer needed you're not like they they could they could like if you have a really good team really good team you can remove the leader entirely and the team would continue to go and do its own thing because at that point then either a new leader will will rise up and fulfill any little bit that you were fulfilling or it just won't matter and you're gone at that point and then at, at that point it's like phil was saying you are a linchpin because they look at you and they're like wow you just took this team and made it it was like the least performing team out there and you turned it into the highest performing team you we need to move you to this other position and uh, and everything and so at that point yeah you are replaceable but at the same time they can't necessarily get rid of you because they want to put you in other in another position within the company to make it so that you can uh, improve whatever area you're at at that point. Like you're you're basically the 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 plumber, maybe. You're you're like the uh, um, the fix it man. Like you go in your whole job, and what you do is you go and you fix things. So yep, remove the bottlenecks next. Yep. yep. Um, Chris, though, Blair Ennis and David Baker have this concept of um, ratcheting yourself out of the business where you you solve the bottlenecks, you replace yourself, and eventually you're spending 5% of your time in the company, maybe 15% of the time in the company. And the rest of your time, you're writing, you're creating, you're doing something that's becoming a thought leadership, something that's bringing value to the company outside of the functionality of the company. And that five to 15% of time, and I'm butchering this, but that five to 15% of the time that you're spending in the company, you are working with the sales team, looking at the client's problems. You are working with the development teams, looking at their processes. You're staying involved in where all the stuff that the customers or your key components are touching, but you're, you're doing it essentially just to stay in the process. Yeah. Yep. And kind of inspire. Yep. It's important. I've seen, seen a few companies do that, but it's really hard to find uh, people who will. It's hard to do that. And, and yeah. if you're hiring somebody, it's hard to hire that position. Well, it's definitely hard to hire that position. It's like you need, a, I think you need like a person, like a certain personality for that. You do. You do. So. All right. Any last thoughts on the book? I don't know. Should we talk about the case with Mike and Andy? Meh. I think we've talked a lot about it. Okay. That's cool. So, all right, excellent book overall. Um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Re- I enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed rereading it. I'll probably reread it again at some point in the future because um, it's good. Can't wait to read the next one at some point. Uh, so this will wrap up our discussion of extreme ownership. Thank you, everyone, for hanging in there for 13 episodes on it. Woo-woo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Our next one, next one we're going to discuss is Never Split the Difference. Um I don't want to give any hints or discussions about what that's about other than one phrase, the FBI. Woo! All right. Um, Yeah. At this point, we're going to switch over to the paid side of things and make some money. (laughs) Low rider getting a little lower. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode, but our discussion didn't end here. We actually went on for another hour or so. If you would like to hear the rest of that discussion or the full unedited podcast, please head on over to two dudes with an opinion.locals.com. That's two, the number two, dudes with an opinion.locals.com. And for the just the price of a cup of coffee, you can hear that full unedited version. And if you want to talk to Phil and I directly, uh, just buy us a you know trip to McDonald's. That's it. That's all we ask. Anyway, if you enjoyed this and like what we are doing, please leave us a five star review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. That really helps us in the charts. If you didn't enjoy it, well, well, I'm sorry. You can just drop Phil a line and, and let him know what you what you thought. And his uh, email is in the podcast notes. So just let him know. He'd like to hear from you. Before you go, please hit that subscribe button so you can get the latest episode from us. Otherwise, you can find all of our social media uh, in the podcast notes if you want to connect us with us there. If you do all that, we'll continue bringing you these great episodes, these great discussions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you later.